You know what I'm saying? Because there are some things that have like doubled in price. Well, and if those are listen, the things that you buy. Yeah, or if you just buy Klondike bars, those are those are going down in price. Exactly. So you're totally good because no one wants them, right? So if all you buy is Costco hot dogs. <laughs> This podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Dougals, that like to debate about investing. The content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing. What it is, what it was, what it gonna be. Uh, that's just gibberish coming out of your mouth. I don't know what you're talking about. But le- if you want to talk about what it is, here's what it is. The last time inflation was this high was 1981. What it was, Dougals, 10% savings account yields, 17% mortgages, 13% bond yields. What it is, not that, man. Not that at all. <laughs> but you didn't answer the third question. What it going to be? Lots of fun for the next hour in your earbuds. I can guarantee that. Everybody, please go rate and review the podcast. Helps people to find us. And uh, we love the listener mail, so skippydougals at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at skippydougals. Either one is good with us. We love it. We love hearing from you. So appreciate Listen, that. Listen, shout out, and I don't want this to come across the wrong way, but seriously, 100% honest, thank you for the reviews. We are currently the number one reviewed podcast in the world, Douglas. We have nothing but five-star reviews. Tied for. And I hope that continues. Yeah, tied for. So that's really awesome. And the reason we mentioned that, guys, is it just helps more people find the show, which helps everybody out. It helps you guys get uh, more quality content, better guests. Um, it's a win-win. This is not the way I intended to start this podcast off. But I do want to say, I think there's one listener that we didn't know that we have that we do. Who's that? Joseph Robinette Biden. You know why I say that? Uh, no, not at all. <laughs> Because I'm always I'm pretty saying. sure he doesn't know how to use a cell phone <laughs> to get a podcast. <laughs> he has the podcast transcripts printed out and he reads them. Okay, okay, okay. So the reason I say that is because, you know, I've been ranting. I've ranted a couple times here about the definition of bear markets and how I do not feel good about that. And I believe he must have been listening because he was like, I'm going to take a little I'm going to take a little snippet out of Dougal's playbook and say, I'm going to change the definition of a recession. A uh, recession, you're bringing it. <laughs> if, it, if it quacks like a recession, if it looks like a recession, it's a recession. But otherwise, it ain't no recession. You're bringing the straight heat. Just just let's start off with the straight heat. So uh, can we give a little background? The White House, whatever, Tuesday came out with some nonsense about, hey, we know it is often defined as uh, two quarters with GDP declining. But that's not the real definition blah 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 and like if you read the wall street journal and the new york times this has been debated all week unfortunately it's become a political thing i'm so frustrated with this Douglas, because here's what actually happened and here's what everyone should have wrote we have two quarters of gdp contraction that could get revised in the future who knows but what an actual recession is is when the national bureau of economic research concludes that it's a recession they haven't done that yet They're probably not going to do that soon because of the six economic factors that they look at, which are largely positive at the moment and be done with it. The the whole wrangling and like trying to play politics with the definition of recession 
just <laughs> kills me. It's outrageous. No, it was great for me, though, because I was waiting, you know, as other people that follow the economy, I was waiting until later this week to see what the econ- economic growth or shrinkage was. But I didn't have to wait. I knew when the White House came out and said that if two quarters in a row go down, that it's not a recession. I knew that <laughs> that they'd already gotten the news like I didn't have to wait. So so we're all good. So it's good for Dougal's. Anyway, I didn't I didn't mean to start off with the white heat, but figured I'd bring that up. Here's what I did want to start off with. I'm reaching to the fishbowl and I'm coming out with the following. There's this piece and we bring up the collaborative fund all the time. Collaborativefund.com has some just I think I think it's solid stuff from Morgan Housel. Our boy, Morgan Housel. Uh, And this piece I really liked. It's called Little Ways the World Works. Before we even get into the piece itself, when I talk about I don't know how you um, describe the podcast to folks. But one of the things that I bring up when I talk about the podcast is I say it's about it's about public market investing. But we discuss business, the economy. We discuss stuff, stuff like are bees fish because it's all about investing. Like all of that stuff is about investing because investing takes into account like many things pattern matching and all kinds of things around the world. And I loved the fact that this piece gave so many good examples of where pattern matching in in the world helps with understanding business, corporations, performance, investing, et cetera. So that's what this is about. I'm going to give you this quote, and then I'm going to pause for your immediate reaction, then we can go into some examples. It might sound crazy, but once you understand the basic principles of your profession, you might gain more expertise by reading around your field rather than within your field. Connecting dots between fields help you helps you uncover the most powerful forces that guide how the world works, which can be so much more important than a n- little new detail that's specific to your profession. Spit on it. Yeah. Slam dunk, 100% true. I mean, if you find yourself in a rut in anything, taking a break, shifting is going to help. And that could be as simple as like, I, I tell my employees, if you're stuck on some challenge, I fully support you taking a walk. <laughs> it could be something as simple as that. Yep, yep, but yep. It, it's often uh, exactly what Morgan says here, which is read something that's related but different and then figure out how to apply those concepts to your field in a way that's different than how the majority of people in your field are probably thinking about that problem. And that's where the real bre- breakthrough comes. Morgan's incredible at this. He's absolutely right. So now a couple examples from the piece. One is, they talk about the second law of thermodynamics, which is you can get the most efficiency out of a system when the hottest heat source meets the coldest sink, right? So that's thermodynamics. Now, you might be like, what that got to do with me? You got a man, you know what I'm saying? But that's not what this is. This is like one of those, you've, you've mentioned this before to me a few times, enter less competitive markets, right, is like one thing. So if you bring hot talent to competitive to like less sexy competitive markets, you get goodness. It also made me think about you and your garbage, right? You're always talking about garbage stocks. And so you, much you garbage, say, yeah. Mm-hmm, and you say things like, I'm glad that this is getting terrible news. I'm glad this is hated, right? You say stuff like that about, about your stocks. Um, and I, I thought this hit on hit that nail right up on the heezy. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to make this too personal about me, but man, it's a fun week for garbage stocks. Kohl's is just having a great time. Alibaba may get delisted. It's just awesome times over here, Deagles. As an aside on Alibaba, it's interesting, man, because it's getting hit again. It's getting down to those nice prices. And uh, but but that's when it also starts to feel like there's some speculation that happens. And I I don't I liked the 
the more fundamental rationale for purchasing Alibaba. And now I'm like, it feels there's like a lot of bet gone on into it. And I, I don't know, but there's a piece of me that gets to curmudgeon Charlie Munger of being like, they're not going to let this happen. Like they're not going to let this happen, but who knows? Yeah. I mean, I didn't want to derail this conversation, but um, yeah, if the two, if the world's two largest economies just can't get along with one of the world's largest companies, that's kind of sad it it, more than anything else. It is. All right, second example here, and this is this is the one I think that gets you into a tiz frizz. Is I'm probably gonna mispronounce this, so I'm sorry for the for the mathematicals out there. But the second example is Anscombe's quartet, and so these are four sets of numbers that all have identical characteristics, so the same average variance and correlation, right down to the decimal point. But when you look at how those numbers are charted, you can get you get these four very different graphs um, that we can we'll send it out on we'll put it on Twitter and we'll send it out in the uh, sub stack that goes out on Monday. But it's it's kind of fascinating. And the point is that pr- precise calculations can skew reality. And we'll talk a little bit about uh, I think the example they give around inflation in this point is like really solid. Yeah, no, this has me fired up for all the right reasons. And I'm currently working on a blog post relating to this exact uh, these exact graphs about why CFOs need to use uh, visual data storytelling. Because if you just say our average profit margin is this, but you don't show trends, it's misleading to the investor because of exactly what's uh, being said here. So yeah, the only reason I fired up about this one, Dougals, is because he nailed this on the head a thousand percent. And I completely agree. And I'm also working on it. I'm just mad he got to it first. It makes me think about the graphs that we were joking about a few months ago. When you look at Berkshire, there are a few of these, but when you look at Berkshire Hathaway's returns since March 2020 and you look at uh, ARC ETFs yeah. returns since March 2020, right? And it's the same, but very different trajectories, right? Well, it, um, but that's such a good example, Dougals. It's like you, you, if you just say, oh, let's look at 24-month performance of these two funds, <laughs> they're almost exactly the same return. But how you got there, tell so much of the story because ARC took these crazy bets and had some good luck and Berkshire just plugged along, turtle in the hair, right? And so at one point, ARC is just crushing them and there's all these articles about has Buffett lost his way and it turns out he actually hasn't and he's going to win the long-term game and you can see it happen in real time because he just kept plugging along and making decent returns. And now, yeah, it's really cool. And they talk about inflation here, as I mentioned before, and I really love this example. One of the reasons it states that in- inflation sparks heated debates is because everyone spends their money differently. When you have like inflation is whatever, 9.1, 9.2%, right? Whatever, whatever the stat, something like that right now. What this is saying is that you look at that 9.2%, but then everybody is like, everybody has their own different view on it. Like the person that commutes a lot, they're sensitive to gas prices, right? Yeah. The, the person that stays at home, they don't care about no gas prices. The, the person that has 18 kids in college, I don't know who that is, but the person that has 18 kids in college right now, is that impossible? <laughs> like, did I just like <laughs> use a number? Is that even, he's an, anyway. Uh, no, you could go to college. college forever. There's no, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Works. But the, the, the childless retired couple, they're saying like, couldn't care less about that, right? So your own view on inflation depends on what you purchase the most, what your buying habits are. And so you have different views on it, but they come out this number that's like 9.1. And some folks might be like, no, inflation is 112%, right? When you look at some goods, there are some things where you go, what? 
You know what I'm saying? Because there are some things that have like doubled in price. Well, and if those are listen, the things that you buy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or if you just buy Klondike bars, those are those are going down in price. Exactly. So you're totally good because no one wants them, right? So if all you buy is Costco hot dogs, <laughs> that's <laughs> I wish I, I should we should do a challenge. Costco hot dog every day for two weeks. See what happens. Yeah, I hear you. The New York Times has a calculator if you want to get really nerdy about it, where you can put in your exact uh you know, details of your life and they'll tell you your inflation percentage. I don't because I, I think that's just going to depress me. No, I don't either. I'm just just saying we'll put this out again. Um, Skippydoogles.substack.com is is how you can sign up for our Substack where we send out a bunch of articles afterwards. So we'll put this on Twitter. We'll also put it in the Substack because it goes into a number of other examples from evolution, astronomy, biology, physics, etc. I don't know if there are any others that stood out to you. Feel free to name them now, but it's pretty cool, like going through a lot of examples about pattern matching and uh, how you can use that to uh, to feel your your own expertise. Yeah, it's good stuff. Nice work, Morgan. I'm going to switch gears slightly. There's uh, two or three headlining topics, but since we were just talking Baba a little bit, I want to throw a stat your way. I learned this week. So if we talk about the cloud computing market worldwide, Dougals, there are four companies that own the majority of that market. And I bet you can name the four off the top of your head. I bet you I can too. Go on. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Oh man, now you got to <laughs> All right. What comes to mind? Amazon, Microsoft, Google, and um, Oracle. What comes to mind? Well, so the four. Oh, Alibaba. The Alibaba. Have, yeah. It's Google, Microsoft, Amazon, and Baba. It, the reason this stat was just like mind blowing to me is you have a California company and two state of Washington companies and then one Chinese company. That's worldwide. That's more than 50% market share of all cloud computing that happens all over the world. Like there's no South African representation. There's no European representation. The reason this is so interesting, if you talk about the bifurcation of what's happening with the Russia-Ukraine conflict with China, U.S., hot cold relationships with with everything here is you have three west coast players and a chinese company and that's it like doesn't this seem that that market should be more diverse it's just not yeah but scale means so much in that market and it consistency does. and reliability yeah. that's and you have attributes. huge advantages there's huge uh you could almost call it network effects but it's really scale where i heard this stat was in a conversation around national security relating to computing and how there's potentially risk here. So that's a whole other thing. Like if you're the German government, right? And you think that the future of conflict is moving to computers in a lot of ways, and you have no cloud computing provider that you can trust that feels like represents your natural interest is that something you should be concerned about it goes back to the conversation we've had around chips and uh everything else that's happening but it's an interesting one for me and and so where i'm going with that is before mr supreme leader decided to mess with my investments like he does every three weeks for fun um (laughs) i'm going I love the Alibaba investment even more. Not only did I get this huge discount because of the like geopolitical risk when I purchased it at 80 bucks a share a while back, then I have this massive advantage where you're the only non-American cloud computing, major cloud computer provider. Like 
do you know how valuable that seems to be? But uh, anyway, there's something that I do want to talk about. But to get to it, I'm reaching to the fishbowl and talk about real estate. Um, and then we'll get to the topic that I think tags right along onto that. You actually yeah. sent this article over to me. And I think it's fascinating. It's called, We Need to Keep Building Houses Even If No One Wants to Buy in the New York Times. It's by your boy, Connor Doherty, Doherty. Can't remember how to pronounce it. I say Daughtry. I don't know. I Connor is the he's yeah. the best. And Ben so Castleman, good. also a co-author on this piece. And it, it talks about what's been happening in the housing market recently and what that could mean short term and long term. Right. And the long term piece is what I'd love to to actually chat about. A couple stats and then I'll turn it over to you. One interest rates on the average 30 year mortgage have jumped to about 5.5% from about 3% at the start of this year, right? That's been the interest rates are all the rage this year. So no surprise. And as we've discussed, that's added hundreds of dollars a month to the typical house payment, right? And it's also served to disqualify some buyers because things are more expensive now. So as a result, sales of new homes are falling. They're down 15% this spring from a year earlier, right? So we had a whole wave of new homes hitting the market. And then with all this jump in interest rates, sales are decreasing. So you've got this increased inventory that was coming on, but sales are are, are decreasing. So those are a couple stats I'll put out there to start off and then let's let's hop to it. One, one stat that's unrelated, uh, but it might be relevant here. The Wall Street Journal had another article this week about how Zoom towns, remember that, remember how we made up the word Zoom towns <laughs> have started to cool. And this example gives uh, talks specifically about Boise, Idaho. So 61% of listings in the Boise metro area had a price cut in June. It's crazy. 61. 61%. Yeah. So, I mean, and and that's last year, Boise's real estate market went up 50%. It was so hot. Like everyone decided, hey, I'm not doing the big city thing anymore. I'm going to uh, work from home the rest of my life. I'm going to telecommute and I'm moving to places like Boise. Things went crazy, and now it appears that those bubbles have popped. And uh, the reason that's relevant is that I think that's probably a leading indicator. But if you go back to this specific article, what's so interesting about this specific article is a couple of quotes here. One, the housing market has responded so quickly to the Fed's actions because it is built on debt, making it ultra-sensitive to interest rates. So it's this incredibly pro-cyclical, incredibly sensitive thing. And what happens when interest rates rise and therefore demand cools is all the builders run away because they go, well, no one can afford houses anymore. But the nation has been in like a 30 year housing crisis. And part of the reason for that is because the builders run away. And when it's really easy to stop building your homes, right? Because you hire mostly subcontractors and everything else. You take that parcel of land, you sell it off or do whatever. But it's really difficult to start building homes, building out that network of subcontractors, finding the financing to buy the to buy the next plot of land. And that's what this article does so masterfully is break down the fact that everyone, this focuses on Oregon largely, but everyone in Oregon, all the builders are about to turn off the spigot and say, we're done for a while, even though there's still strong demand. And it's a very, very interesting challenge that might lead to a perpetual housing crisis. 
and and a couple things is brought up for me. So one was there was an article I want to say it was in the Odd Lots section of Bloomberg, like that. Okay. That column that we talked about like a year ago or so. I'm going off of memory, so. But it was about how difficult it is for corporations to to project out what inventories they should bring on and thinking about uh, preparing for the future and demand. So we discussed that about a year ago, it brought up that for me. And then also the the big thing that this touches on, and I just want to expand upon, is one of the roles of government. Now you can debate depending on your, your ideologies, et cetera, big government, small government, et cetera. But from, from my standpoint, I do believe that a key role that government should and could take on is thinking about long-term stability. And I'll even say beyond stability, what should be true about our nation in 30, 40, 50, whatever years, and to support that. like th- That's like what I think a key, key yeah. part of government should be, right? Even when I think about uh, my day job, I know, I know it's probably hard for all of you to imagine that we got day jobs, but my day job, I feel like I, I kind of have to play this role as the leader of my organization and thinking about in five years, what should be true about our team? And then make sure that we're setting up stuff to be true, right, in five years, because people that are running individual functions are thinking about the next month, next three months, next six months. Like they they got good people in place. They take care of that. But what should be true in a few years? And here, one of the things they're pointing out is that the private sector is cannot be incentivized around the long term when you have issues like this, because they they have to think about like, how do I keep my company afloat? How do I hit the profit? How do I satisfy investors? But the government can be looking at the long term and saying, how do we make sure we have enough housing just like we did 70 years ago? Right. How can, yep. maybe maybe let's be less racist about it this time. But how can we think about, you know, 50 years from now, make sure that we have the housing that we need? Yeah. Well, OK, so. Two quotes, and then we're going to talk about a place where the government does this. The government smooths out the supply and demand uh, cycle with almost no pushback. And we'll compare and contrast that to housing because I'm curious to get your thoughts. So two more quotes from the article. In a sense, policymakers are solving the immediate cost of living crisis, inflation, by making the longer run cost, uh, by making a longer run cost of living crisis, housing even worse. So, right, because we've decided to tackle inflation and because housing is so sensitive to interest rates, what that does in taming inflation is immediately stops building new homes, which makes a long run cost of living crisis in housing even worse. You can see it happening five years out and no one's doing anything about it. Uh, So here's the second quote. But unless the government builds new housing itself or creates incentives for builders like Hayden to keep at it when it doesn't make economic sense, the housing shortage is destined to compound each time the economic winds blow against the building industry. Really solid two sentences with that last quote in my eyes. That's what I thought was so good about the article. Dougals, here's where I want to go. What we do with farming subsidies in this country is we say it's important we grow food and sometimes storms happen and sometimes economic turmoil happens and sometimes the price of soybeans isn't what you thought it was going to be. So we're going to have your back. We're going to have the farmers back that way. But we don't do that in housing. I don't know that that's what we do. It's part of the problem. It's possible I misunderstand. I I mean, I don't I'm not an expert there. I I don't I don't think it's necessarily a misunderstanding. I'm I'm talking just more about the way that incentives have shifted 
because I think that there was a point where that's what we did as a government from a mindset perspective. I'm talking about like we still Is have that the, subsidies. the intent of what we're trying to do. And then it doesn't work that way. I think that that was the intent of what we're trying to do. And now I think that it's more about satisfying like lobbyists and people with okay. economic but, but like what you stated, I think, was true as to what we were doing. And now I think it's like the was AMD, Archer Midland Daniels of the world that are now. I like, used have to own the, AMD. Yeah. Yeah. You know, right. Like, I think that's the issue is that there's so much like economic incentivization that happens even at the government level. The government is thinking about short term and not long term. Like and that's that's problematic. But I do agree with what you were saying with what we did with regard to agriculture is what we need to do with regard here. But what we're doing with regards to agriculture, I actually think is part of the current issue. It's part of the housing issue? Well, n- not part of housing. I'm saying part <laughs> of the mindset issue. Like yeah. p- part of the, like the, the mindset of the government's different. <sighs> Go back to the early 1960s when we took literally a moonshot. Like where the moonshot terminology comes from is when we said, we gonna be up in the moon in a decade. Yeah. That would have been a much worse speech, by the way, if that's the way if that's the way that Kennedy had popped up. That's there. why Dougal's is in president, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We're going to be on the moon. Um, <laughs> no, but like, you know, we and th- from what we did to get on the moon, like so much research and innovation came from that one thing that had like nothing to do with necessarily getting to the moon directly. But we've just gotten so many innovations from it because we think. We would take big bets. We take innovation. We think longer term about stuff. And now we just don't. Right. It, it's like it's kind of a I don't know. It's messed up. Yeah. I mean, did I take us all track? the things? No, it's good. Of all the things that came from us going to the moon, like it, I'll get the examples wrong, but I feel like sticky notes could have been one. <laughs> Boom. You know, what would we do without the sticky note? Like the extra large toilet paper rolls are, <laughs> came directly from. <laughs> Sorry, I'm off topic. So I agreed. I don't know. I, I love debating these things with you because 20 years ago, I I don't think I ever could have been in favor of gov- government subsidies to smooth housing demand. But this article really made me think about it. Like, is there action that needs to be taken here? I agree with your general hypothesis on one of the most uh, valuable things a government can do is think long term to enable a solid foundation for growth for their citizens and it seems like going from housing crisis to housing crisis isn't a positive thing it's not a it's it's not a positive thing everyone would probably agree with that i think we need to get more long term there's something that's probably also related here to your beef that you had a few weeks ago with regard to uh, the statement around i don't know if it was exxon specifically but um large oil companies yeah right Maybe the government shouldn't have a positive view on large oil companies, like regardless. But you also the government admonishing like large oil companies for not thinking about their own long term when the government isn't thinking about their own long term. It's kind of messed up. This is and we we said this at that time. We're like, it, you just don't seem like you understand how business works, regardless of how you whether or not you agree with this, Senor Robinette. It just seems like you don't get how companies work, which is not going to serve you well. When you're sitting down across the table from folks, whether or not you agree with their ideologies. Well, no, let's use that example here. Can you imagine if during the housing boom of the last 12 years or at least the last five years, the Biden administration was saying, oh, these home builders are making record profits and we have to take more of that because they're bad actors? 
well, they're in a highly cyclical business. Shouldn't we allow them to pull some money forward, hopefully have some profits for when times get incredibly thin, uh, which they're about to because interest rates are rising so much? Now, I'm going to pull on that to reach into the fishbowl for a second. So sometime, I think this was maybe late last summer. I can't remember exactly what episode it was. But we, you actually brought up the topic of uh, conglomerates buying into mobile homes, right? Like uh, investments in mobile homes, right? So now about a year later, we're starting to see, or maybe it's been happening for a bit, but starting to come out some of the issues that have come from that. There was this piece in AP News, rents spike as big pocketed investors buy mobile home parks. So mobile home parks are viewed by large investment companies as high profit areas. And now on the other side of that, the example that this article is centered around is Ridgeview Homes, which is a family owned mobile home park in upstate New York. And since 2018, it says there have been various corporate owners, the latest of which is Cook Properties that have owned this this set of homes. And they're increasing, apparently, allegedly, they're increasing rents while not investing in the units themselves. Or like when I say investing, I mean like doing the stuff they said they were going to do. From from this article, they're saying that the water that's coming out is bourbon colored. Um, I like my bourbon bourbon colored, right? But water bourbon colored is not healthy. They are yeah, you had an awkward pause there. For, I, you just said the water coming out is bourbon. Like, <laughs> yeah, colored. <laughs> Which is worse? Which is worse? I don't know. They're both terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're both pretty bad. And so the residents are just like, you know, what what am I supposed to do? And part of the point that I hadn't like thought about it in this way before, one of the points that's brought up is we talk about mobile home parks. What's insinuated there, if not just explicit, is that they are mobile and they are affordable. And they are neither they're at this neither. point in time. Yeah. Right? Like, that's the point. So half the residents of of Ridgeview launched a rent strike in May, right? And so Cook Property started evicting people, according to this this article. And they use Ridgeview as the center of the article, but they're saying like, this is not, it's not an isolated incident, right? Private equity firms, real estate investment trusts, et cetera, um, have been buying and swooping up all these mobile home parks. And what's happening is they're like, they're putting people out of homes. Uh, This is the quote here is, the purchases are putting residents in a bind since most mobile homes, despite the name, cannot be moved easily or cheaply. Owners are forced to either accept unaffordable rent increases, spend thousands of dollars to move their home or abandon it and lose tens of thousands of dollars they invested. Yeah. So I just threw this on the Twitter with my favorite article on the issue, which is an NPR breakdown. You can listen to it. It's like 30 minutes long. That does an incredible job articulating how the spike in home prices basically made real estate look like such a strong investment that you started to have private equity firms and Blackstone and everyone else flood the space. And when they flooded the space, they started single family. They're still buying a lot of single family, but they went down the chain basically to try and maximize the the profit that they could squeeze out of these things. And mobile homes were at the bottom of that chain because they had been billed as an affordable place to live. And when all the uh, cost of living for everything else goes up it cascades downstream and so then tons of private equity firms have said we're only going to buy mobile homes and when they buy the mobile homes the first thing you're going to do when you're purely looking at the economics of that equation 
is raise the rents. And those are the people that probably looked everywhere else and went to the mobile home uh, facility because that was the best economic situation for them. It's like there's a whole legacy story here that's been building for 20 years. And I think this is going to continue to happen. I, I, I don't see it changing. Yeah. And I, I also think it's related to the conversation we are having around how cheap capital ends up screwing over the little person, right? Because yep. you have these large organizations that are getting funded by uh, Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, right, et cetera. So they can get cheap loans to buy the mobile home parks. And then when they buy the mobile home parks, now they're increasing rents. And it's not, look, it's it's economics, right? And this is business. So I, I get it from that standpoint. It's just that you you can't have a system that's set up such that it... No, in the, but that's even incredibly relevant because when we first talked about this a year back, there's another play, and I forget the specific subsidy, but I think as one of the uh, spending bills, there was a special subsidy around financing home purchases that private equity firms figured out how to leverage to buy mobile homes. And so when the, I think the bill was written in a way that was supposed to help your average American actually more easily finance a home. And what actually happened is you made the rents of your average American renter increase by 20 to 50%. Exactly. Uh, I mean, terrible unintended consequence of that. All right. What's next in your fishbowl? Uh, so I love to make people money. Uh, so we did this crazy with I bonds. Uh, we talked a lot about how you can get I bonds back when they were 7%. They're currently 9%. If you haven't taken advantage of that, it's worth considering. Listen, if you're not making 2% on your high yield savings account, Dougals right now, I want you to send the show an email and <laughs> we will help you navigate the environment. It's awesome. If there's, there's a lot of bad things about inflation and rising rates and everything else that we're talking about. But you should actually be making decent return on your idle cash these days. If you're not, I recommend uh, looking into that because it's not that hard to do. What is Tina doing right now? Tina's got to feel neglected at this point. Our girl Tina that was strutting around last year. Because there's some alternatives out there. Yeah, because there's alternatives. What is it? There are some alternatives. Tasa? <laughs> Tasa and Tina are fighting in the streets. Not having this conversation. Okay, with sorry. You. Sorry. <laughs> There's a devolution in the quality of combo that I just I just fueled. The only other thing in my fishbowl is pure craziness. So we better c- kick it back to you. I think no, those those are the two big things I had. So what is what's your craziness? Uh, this is the future we live in. There's a, a article I read this week around <laughs> if if we should consider dimming the sun to turn down global warming. <laughs> And then it it really breaks down our options here. It's like we could put some untested chemicals in the atmosphere that would be kind of like a volcano explosion. Like, has it come to this? This is, this is where we're headed. Isn't that so much fun? I mean, we have like the checklist of what we think we can do to change our behavior. So have we just given up? Is that I saw you sent this over. I saw it come through, but I didn't click on it. I mean, I don't know. I thought it was more humorous than anything else. The other thing that I'd touch on briefly is, uh, and I, 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 we're going to talk about it hypothetically rather than go like line by line, but uh, Sri Lanka's in trouble right now with a mountain of debt. And uh, what appears to have happened, I haven't followed this closely, is last year it was pretty clear that they were going to 
be in in this trouble. Um, but instead of going to the International Monetary Fund uh, to get relief and agree to the really strict restrictions that come with working with the International Monetary Fund around reducing your spending and really tightening your belt, looks like they went to China instead. And China said, oh, yeah, we'll give you the same money in a less restrictive way. Well, they ended up in the same place. And the reason this is interesting to me is because now I think what's going to happen is China is going to take control of parts of the country because of the way that they structured their debt. And so that's like a whole, this is a whole thing. I I always think about this. We talked this. about this. We talked know, about but this. I always think about this with companies, right? Of like, oh, well, it, you know, if I'm buying equity here, I'm, I want to buy equity in a place where I know I'm going to get a return on investment. But the, there's, when you tie geopolitics on top of like economics and stuff, it's so much more complicated. I don't know if China actually thought, and listen, I'm not claiming, I'm sure the U.S. does very similar things and in, in very similar, but I don't know if they even cared about their investment. They might've just said, we'll give you some money because that gives us power. We <laughs> Deep breath over there. You're right. America, America, watch what's <laughs> happening here. This, yeah, we talked about this. When we talked about this, what we discussed was there was the first time that I thought about stuff like this. Maybe I was late to the game was something like 15, 20 years ago, um, somewhere in that span. I read this book called Confessions of an Economic Hitman. Yeah. And what that book talked about, again, might have been late to the game. What that book talked about was it was one person's journey. And what they said was they were like a consultant. And what they would consult in is they would go to developing nations and the US via uh, engineering companies would lend money to developing nations oftentimes with the know-how that the developing nation would not be able to pay that loan back and when that loan could not be paid back the u.s would then own a part of that country like that was what that was what this person's career was effectively then what we discussed was okay so that so there was that now look at where china has lent money to places and the places that china had lent money were the next set of developing nations it was in southeast asia and a lot of african nations yep so well here here's the stats to tie to that so total economic debts to low and middle income countries ranked ranked by creditor basically china largest in the world with almost 150 billion of outstanding uh credits to these low and middle income countries this there's something here um japan is next followed by france germany and and russia but oh then the russia piece is actually interesting too because i know that plays a role with the current conflict and war in ukraine it's it's a thing that we need to keep an eye on It's, it's something to watch out for because very often we've seen this movie before history does not repeat but it rhymes right and so it, it makes a heck of a lot of sense um and last week we had william green on the show awesome episode i really enjoyed that episode mostly because uh, so i've listened to a number as you have a number of uh, interviews with william green and i don't think i've heard one until our conversation that was really more about him 
in how he thinks and what he does than it, it is about the work. It's a mix of both, but it was, it was kind of cool. Uh, but one of the things he, he mentions, he talks about his interview with Ray Dalio. And in that, he talks about the 600-page book uh, that that Ray Dalio wrote that um, to go listen to. And I, or sorry, that he, uh, that he read in order to do the interview. Um, and I'd recommend it for those that are into like macro, macro uh, economic reads. It's, it's called uh, The Changing World Order. And just read it <laughs> because when, when, you, when it comes to the history rhymes, like he, Ray Dalio basically takes a hundreds of years view on different regimes that have ruled around the world and what their rise and their, and their fall um, kind of is and gives a, a view into, it's not a much to, uh, to his credit. It's not like a forecast. I would say it's just like, here's what has happened. Here's what like literally is happening that you can see mm -hmm. right now, you know, and forecast for yourself. And it just reminds me of stuff like this. Like when, when you see things that the U S has done and how it built itself and you see China doing similar types of things, you never know what the future is going to look like, but you should watch it because history has shown us that how this movie could end. Um, yeah. And as an American, I got nothing against China, but as an American, like let's at least keep, keep tabs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if they just stop messing with my stock picks, I'd really like China. It'd be great. We got, they're all sitting in the Capitol, like in the hunger games with their like makeup on and their wild costumes. And they spin this big wheel to say what the heck they're going to mess with next in one of our portfolios. That is, that's, that's what they do. That's how they spend their time. Convinced. Oh, man. Anyway. <laughs> Guys, don't take us too seriously as a side note here. We're having fun. So <laughs> don't get fired up about politics because we're probably joking about whatever we say in the, <laughs> in the meantime. All right, let's wrap with this. Yeah, I, I just got to talk about this. You sent me an article uh, t this morning about how Hershey's is worried they're not going to be able to meet demand for halloween candy um do you know my reaction to this doogles run for the hills i mean it was a eye roll and a good like come on <laughs> <laughs> this is the last thing i am concerned about so my kids might not come home with like a pillowcase full of candy. they might only have like what 20 pieces of candy instead of 2000 this would be what awesome was the, what was the caption that i sent to you when i sent you that that article Oh, I got to pull it up. It said fundamental parts of this country are imploding. <laughs> yes. With no emojis. I mean, I don't know if you're serious or not. <laughs> Forget about Chinese investments in Sri Lanka and Africa. Forget about the debt crisis. Forget about what's happening with housing. It was kind of like when, um, you know, back in February, March 2020, we're all still trying to see like what was happening with uh, with the virus and how it was spreading. And then when everything shut down was like minutes following when Tom Hanks got it. Tom, yeah, Tom yeah. Hanks and Rita Wilson got the disease and the NCAA was like shut down the tournament. There was a St. Yeah. John's game that stopped in the middle <laughs> of play <laughs> after Tom Hanks got it. This is the same. It's like, yeah, we got debt. Yeah, there might be a recession. Yeah, housing's. Housing's got issues. Hold on, Hershey. You're telling me Hershey can't produce enough chocolate? Like, we need immediate assistance going on here. I I can't find this quote, but the article basically says like, since the pandemic, 
supply has been higher than they anticipate or demand has been higher than uh, they anticipated and then on top of that the supply chain it's like yeah everyone is still struggling to recover from the pandemic with an extra chocolate bar here or there okay that's let's not judge let's just roll with the punches here hershey's you don't have to be mean to us like this but listen <laughs> i don't mind if we take halloween off we could we could totally take halloween off all right i think it's time to wrap <laughs> Definitely. It was time 15 minutes ago. Uh, guys, uh, please rate and review the pod. His for listener mail, skippydoogles at gmail.com. On Twitter, you can DM us. And Doogles mentioned the Substack. That's an awesome place for all the articles and stuff. Um, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Peace.